And so 2 Kings chapter 2, I'm reading again this morning from the New Living Translation. I'm going to start from verse 11 this morning. What I want to mainly bring out of this text is that Elisha was set apart to go and do a work for God. As the church is set apart, that's what I'm bringing out of this this morning. So verse 11, as they, walk, as they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Verse 13. And Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when it was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Thank God Elijah didn't cry out here, church. Where's Elijah? Where's Elijah? Because Elijah was removed from his life. And sometimes our life changes and we can feel vulnerable. But he cried out, where is the Lord of Elijah? Not where's Elijah? And then the river divided and Elisha went across. And here we see in the next verse where, where God has not just only affirmed Elisha, but he set him apart among the people as a prophet of God. Verse 15, when the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what had happened, they said, Elijah's spirit rest upon Elisha. And they went to meet him and they bowed down to the ground before him. Amen. Elisha's, Elijah's taken up to glory and the falling down of his mantle. This was an empowering of Elisha for ministry. We, we've already looked at this. It's a picture of the empowering of the church. Christ's ascension into glory, we know about it. The falling of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. All of this combined empowered the church to carry out a great work for the ministry for the kingdom of God. And what I see within this is that Elisha began a new season in his life and his calling. And you know, as we walk with God, there will be times when we will experience a new season. A new, a new, we just know we're going into a deeper place with God. We just know it's a new season that he sent us or placed us or planted us somewhere else. And he's going to use us in a way that perhaps we never really expected him to do it. And that's what, that's what it is to follow God as we be discipled and as we grow in grace. There's new seasons come. And this was a new season for Alicia. Now, the, the, the first path that was already said we considered was the straight walking. Alicia was a man, listen, who, who walked straight who talked straight. And it, what I mean by talking straight is that he spoke the word of God. And that's important. And I want to just bring that out briefly this morning because here's the thing. The word of God has power. There's something that I've noticed in my own life and, and I've noticed in the church as we witness. We, we've got into the habit of, of witnessing to people without scripture. And what I, what I mean is that we, we tell people that they need to be saved. And we tell people that certain things about them but the greatest impact that I ever had in my life was when people presented a scripture to me. One of the biggest ones that all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Show that the young man who's full of arrogance and pride thinks he's not a sinner at all. But when we present the word of God to people without the anger, without the arrogance, but simply to share scripture, scripture has got a habit of breaking these hard hearts that we see around us in this world. And John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A few, a few verses later it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I'm sure you've noticed the key word there, Word. The Word is mentioned four times. 
And this means, quite simply, that what the Bible's trying to teach us is that the Word of God is of the greatest importance. Not John, not any of the apostles, nothing else, but, but the Word is, the, is of the greatest importance. And then we think of this Word. Well, what is the Word? Well, Jesus is a living Word. The name of Jesus is so powerful because he, in fact, is not just the Word, but he's the living Word who dwelt among us. And only the Word of God, only the Word of God, church, has the power to save your loved ones. Only the Word of God has power to change your life this morning. If you're here this morning, you're bound by addictions, you're bound by whatever, only the Word of God has power to change your life or to save a soul. If you're not saved here this morning, and God's been speaking to you, and you're looking peace for your soul, you're unable to obtain that peace outside the Word of God. It's got power. And straight talking that we're going to be looking at now comes from sure in the Scriptures. I want to show you something. John 14, 12. Jesus says, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Now, some people think that they're going to have an anointing, they're going to outdo Jesus and his works. Well, I don't believe that teaching at all. I'm going to bring out the teaching I do believe with these greater works because I think it's more biblical. There's greater works that you and I can do, and it doesn't mean we're going to outdo Jesus in miracles. How can we do a greater work in the kingdom is the question you need to ask yourself. Not how can I outdo Jesus in miracles. That's a fleshly thing. But if we want to be greater, and Jesus says all those who follow me are going to do greater things, the question you need to ask yourself is, well, how then can I do something greater? How can we do something greater in the kingdom? And this is where straight talking comes from. Now, what I noticed about Scripture, and you all know, is this, that Jesus' ministry was, was more or less limited to Galilee and, Ju and Judea. But the church, after Christ's ascension and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, began to minister in Jerusalem and Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Do you see the word greater starting to be played out? And the, the greater works that Jesus here speaks of, it's not in power as such, but it's in scope. Now, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come with power. This power wouldn't be a man's power or an earthly power, but it'd be a power from on high. He was very precise in where it comes from. And this power from on high, as we see scripturally, and around us, it turns weak men and women into bold men and women who witness for God. And this holy boldness that come across the early church, what happened was a holy fire began to spread across the whole world, a fire that still burns today in the hearts of God's people. Amen. Come on, church, don't be afraid to say it. There's a fire in here. My goodness, why do we keep on going? There's a fire in us. That's why we keep on going. Some of you have probably just fell through these doors this morning. You don't know how you got here, and God's brought you here because he's put a fire in your spirit, a fire that will keep burning across this world until Christ returns. And his, his, So Jesus reached Galilee and Judea, yeah? But his church reached the world, and that's what this greater works that Jesus spoke of. And that means, church, that you and I are part of a greater work. What Jesus did in Jerusalem and Judea he is going to do in the whole world through his church. Let me give you an example of this greater work, which I know some of you mightn't just fully agree, but I expect you do about this greater work. A few hours after the early church was birthed in the upper room, a few hours now after the church was birthed, Peter, a man who denied Christ, 
A man who, because of fear, shrank back. A man who is like you and I. We can quite easily at times shrink back. But Peter, all of a sudden, restored, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he stood up among the people who mocked and preached. What happened that day? Well, here's what happened. The early church went from having 120 people sitting in its pews to having 3,000 souls saved and sitting in its pews, if you like. Do you see what happened? Then we're told God added daily to the church those who were being saved. Do you see the greater work being done? Then in Acts 2, we're told that people were healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> 500 men plus women were saved. Do you see a greater work being done through the church, the people of God? And as time went on, a greater work would yet continue to be done in Jerusalem. Then what would happen? The church would be scattered and that greater work would become even greater and the gospel would spread. And you see the greater the greater works being done and, and, and examples of that being poured out. Now, today, the gospel has reached all seven continents. All seven continents have got a church in them from Jerusalem. That's the greater work, isn't it, church? Isn't that exciting? From something that happened 2,000 years ago has impacted millions and millions of people today. And in every continent, the people of God are found. There's a witness, there's a light. Asia, Africa, North America and South America, there's the people of God. Europe and Australia. Listen, there's even a church in Antarctica. Look it up for yourself. There's a church in Antarctica where there's around about 500 scientists and maybe three or 4,000 sub-workers who don't permanently live there, but who live there quite a lot of time. And the church is there. Greater work you will do. And this is greater work that Jesus spoke about is still going on today. And you and I are part of it. It's why missional living is so important to us and to the church. And the only way Satan can hinder this greater work, listen, is by stopping the word of God being taught and preached. And if you wonder why the word of God has been ripped out of schools, it's satanic to its core. You and I might think, sure, who cares about Ari? Anyway, I didn't give much care about it when I was at school. Make no mistake about it. When the word of God is removed, there's no restraint in the society. And we're seeing that today. And that's what Satan's doing. He's, he's, he's seeking to hinder the spread of this greater work. But Jesus says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell not prevail. But that means the church needs to be faithful to what the word asks us to do. But be careful of this in your life. Use scripture to show people their need of salvation, not just your own words. Because scripture carries an authority. Use the word of God to... Pray for a scripture to show your loved one that will open up a conversation that will always go back to scripture. You'll not offend somebody by yourself if you knew scripture because scripture itself is offensive. The people of God should never be offensive. I say, I say it, and, and, and Paul quotes it in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of man. Does anybody want to correct me, church? It's too soon to be sleeping now. Come on. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of man. Hearing by the word of God and how we can be slowly deceived and not even realize we're doing it, but we're not actually showing, you know, mom, this is what the Bible says. Listen, friend, this is what the Bible says. Instead of you're just a sinner, you need to be saved. You're going to hell. All sounds good, but very, very, causes a, a war, doesn't it? But we shouldn't create wars. Jesus didn't. But I'll tell you one thing, his word was offensive. And I want to remind you, the gospel is offensive, but the, the church isn't. 
The church isn't. We're not to be arrogant, ignorant men and women pointing fingers. We're to, we're to allow the word to speak because when the word speaks, it's offensive. When you're told you're a sinner, when you're told even your good works are like filthy rags, when you're told unless you repent of your sin, you're going to go to eternal damnation, it's offensive. But Christ died that you could live. Christ died that your sins could be taken away. That's glorious. That's the good news. But faith comes by hearing. And how many preachers, for instance, have stopped preaching the word only to preach a lovely wee message? That's powerless to change a dead sinner or convict a, a man living in backslidden state. Church, the greater works that Jesus spoke about comes through the word of God. Now, Paul in Acts 17 says this, Speaking of a time before Christ's death and resurrection, a time when the world worshipped many, many kinds of unknown gods. I want you to see this. There's a time before the gospel was, was plain as the cross. And, and he says, God, he says, these times of ignorance, God has overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent and turn to him. You know, you could translate that as before you heard the gospel, you were living in ignorance, but now you know you need to be saved. God demands that you repent and turn from your sins. You see, and that's the message. And then there's a warning given to every generation because he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. And he's given proof of this. Now, now notice that. He's given you proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. The resurrection is proof to the world that all men and all women will stand before God at the end of the age and be judged. If any man thinks they're going to die and just vanish, well, Jesus' resurrection tells a different story. As I have been raised, every man will be raised and every man will be given an account and all who are found in their sin will be damned. But all who have repented and trusted in Christ alone will be saved. That's the gospel. That's not my words or your words. It's the gospel message. <clears throat> and it's this type of biblical preaching of the word that produces lasting fruit, fruit that turns sinners into saints and keeps the sinners as saints, isn't it? The church is to be straight talking, to say what the scripture teaches. Then we will see a greater work done on the land. Write down Acts 6 and 7, but let me read it to you, do you see? And notice the word great. And Paul says, and the word of God, not the word of man, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. In Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. These words great are put there for a reason. When the word is preached, hearts are laid bare before God. And the fruit of that is this dead religion in your life goes and is buried, and true faith and fellowship in the Lord Jesus Christ rises up among the people. That's the power of the word of God. So, church, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Use a verse, use scripture to speak to your loved ones and your work colleagues because both Elijah and Elisha were prophets. What's a prophet? It's a person who spoke the word of God. Be straight talking. Now, lastly, the last point is straight living. Now, straight living. This is something that we all love to be taught on, straight living. Turn with me in your Bibles if you have them. It'll be good for you to even read it yourself at home. Titus 2. If you go to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, then we'll come Titus. We're used to digital. Sometimes it's not as easy finding it. I'm again reading from the New Living Translation. But it would be good for you just to read it in yourself. Now, there's not a big pile of breaking down of this, but it speaks a lot for itself. But I want to just finish off on this importance of straight living. So 
Titus chapter 2. And what I see here, church, is this. Now, as we grow and mature in Christ, okay, because some of us are only saved and some of us are still on an early journey and we're infants in the, in the faith, but, but as we grow and as we mature in Christ, our living will start to reflect the teaching of the Bible. It'll just start to happen. That, that's what happens. But our teaching must reflect godly living. That's important. Now, look at verse 1. Now, we're, we're talking about straight living. The, the straight path of the righteous is this one that's lived well and lived straight. Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Now, the Amplified Bible says this first. Let me tell you what it says. But as for you, Titus, teach these things which are in agreement with sound doctrine, which produces men and women of good character, whose lifestyle identifies them as true Christians. Do you ever see a person who talks a talk with their life is slightly off skew. Chances are, chances are, they're either very carnal and early in their faith or they're not saved at all. That's the fine line of it. Either there's a born-again change in a man or woman's life or there's not. doesn't mean they don't make mistakes and fall, but if somebody's proclaiming to be a mature Christian but their life does not teach and go along with sound doctrine, they're not saved or else they need corrected. Now, the Bible teaches that straight living and straight walking set the people of God apart. Why? Because their living identifies them as true Christians. That's what the Bible would teach. Now, now many people today live in full rebellion against God's, God's word in particular and God's order. I don't want to go into that too much. Just enough to say it, isn't it? Now, there's, there's, a, there's a vast bond of people who stand in pulpits and gather in, in, in settings like this who who fly in the face of God's order of things, but they're Christian if you're talking to them. And how are you going to discern what's right and what's wrong? Well, a lifestyle that doesn't add up to sound doctrine isn't a life that's under the word of God. These people confess to be Christian, but their lifestyles expose them as what the Bible would call turf. Now, a turf can confess to be a believer, and a turf can even talk and act like a believer and sit in a pew. But a tur is powerless to live like a believer. Why? Because you're not born again. The people of God are empowered to live in a way that a tur can't imitate. Elisha walked and lived in such a way that even the very prophets of Jericho bowed down and recognized his anointing. They knew he was of God. Didn't have to speak a word. They could see in his life, this man carried something of God. They said he carried Elijah's spirit, but it was the spirit of God that he carried. And Paul instructs Titus to the church to preach and to teach this kind of living, straight living. And he presses into Titus the importance of sound biblical doctrine. And the enemy has told you and I that sound biblical doctrine is only for academics. But it's not. <clears throat> this, this whole chapter is biblical doctrine. In First Timothy 4, and we're going to just bring this sharp to a close. I'll try, I know it's, it's a bit heavy for you this morning. So First Timothy 4 says this. And it speaks about in the last days, before the Lord returns, there's going to be a falling away. It says true faith. It's not going to be a falling away from faith. There's going to be plenty of faith in the land. Just what sort of faith? He says true faith. And he speaks of, of the days when there's going to be deceitful spirits. And these deceitful spirits are going to teach doctrines of demons. Now, that means in the last days, there's going to be demons clothed as ministers of light. And they're going to produce teachings. What are these teachings? How can you discern them? Well, what these teachings will do, they will affirm ungodly lifestyles. Look out for that first and foremost. They will affirm ungodly li uh, lifestyles. 
That's what doctrines of demons do. Uh, and we see this today, perhaps more than like ever before. Doctors, doctrines of demons will promote ungodly lifestyles, but sound doctrine, it produces men and women of good character whose lifestyles identify them as true Christians. Do you see the difference in the two doctrines? There's a true doctrine, which is the word, and then there's this other doctrine that we create for ourselves and we cultivate. Uh, and it's very easy for somebody today who, who, who wants to live a certain way to, to twist Scripture because nobody really cares anymore, and they just do it. But it's the people coming through who are still lost and need the truth of the gospel. That's why we need to be straight talking, because as those are yet to be saved, they don't need to be told they're okay. They don't need to be told there's no hope in your life, and that's is it. They don't need to be told any of that. They need to be told that there's hope. And Titus 2, he, he brings out this doctrine of straight living. So we're going to look at it. Look at verse 2. Teach the older man. This is sound doctrine now. Teach the older man to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect and to live wisely, to have a good, sound, strong faith, and be a man that carries love and patience, or a man who's filled with love and patience. And I'm going to say this. I was going to say if you're 45 and over, you're old, but anybody's 45 and under is young. But here's the truth. If you're in your 40s, I'm sorry, but we've... Well, let's put this road. If you're pregnant and you're in your mid-30s, you're called geriatric. Are I right in that, nurses? Because I know my own, <laughs> my own wife was referred to once and she was totally horrified. <laughs> geriatric. What I'm trying to say is, like, <clears throat> some of us think we're still young. And in fact, we're, we should be mature men. And I wonder, because there's this big conflict today, isn't there, about men and women, and there's no separation in Scripture. Well, there is separation in Scripture. It's speaking to men for a reason. He's not, he's not addressing men and women because it makes us all feel good because women, you're going to get it next. But he's speaking to men. Men, exercise self-control. There's nothing worse than an old fool. A young fool can be tolerated because he's young and he's foolish. We all live there. But an old fool, it's hard to tolerate, hard to swallow, hard to sit in the company of an old fool. And what the word's saying, and God's saying to you and I as men, listen, men, and Paul talked about when he was a young man, he, he done foolish things, but now that he's a man, he puts them things away. And some of us need to put things away and, and exercise self-control because there's a generation looking at us. They don't know how to be men. And they're looking at us, and they need to know what it is to be a man. What is the bar that's set by the God? What is, the, what is it to be a man of God? What is it to be an Elisha? Who makes a difference? Well, well, well. Some a fruit of a man of God is one that isn't perfect, but he, he's he's disciplined himself to have self-control. He's a man that's proved worthy of respect. He's earned respect because he acts wisely, and he's a man that has a sound faith. Well, how do we know? Because even when we do things wrong, they're, they're filled with love and grace, and that's speaking to us men. And patience, patience isn't something that men are born with. Would you agree, ladies? Men just aren't the most patient at times. I know some of you men are really graceful. And I'm really graceful to a point and then the, the whole lid just goes off. And it's just a mess for about three seconds and then that's it. And it takes a long time for me to get there, like a pressure cooker. But patience is something that we need to exercise. Okay, men, so there's a wee thing for you. And then teach the older women. Now, women, if you're 30 up, you're close to geriatric, so look at, we'll, we'll put the 30 up, all right? 
if I've offended anybody, take it up with a word, but it's the word Senate here. Teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. Sound doctrine. I know this is really easy for you, church, but I pray that it's really convicting you in this day when you can live and do what you like because God doesn't mind. So women, I don't know why it says don't slander, okay? It's not saying to men, it's saying women. You work it out, okay? I don't want to take this one on any further, right? Okay, so older women, don't slander. Don't be heavy drinkers. I don't know, it's saying it. But instead, teach others what is good. Because you've walked the path. You've made the mistakes. You can teach others not to fall into the same pits and get the same bruises and scars that you and I carry. Teach others what is good. Older women train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Do you know there's 10,000 children today that need house and foster care? 10,000. Last year was 5,000. And I know that for a fact because I sat in a meeting. Ten, how can that double in one year? I don't know, but it's double. In one year, it's double. And I've been on to Tusla, and they're, they're going to be sending somebody some of these weeks, and they're going to have a wee slot here in our service. And they're going to tell us and, and, and promote that, and, and, and who knows. But teach the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Now, I had to speak to my wife about this one, and we don't get finished, I'm just going to stop today. But, but do you know, in the generations of around the 25-year-olds, and I have a few work with me, and I know many of them, and I've asked them this question. They get home from work, and one of them says to me that he gets his dinner about half eight at night. Because the time he gets home, he gets the house sorted out a wee bit, he has to put the dinner on, and his woman's been laying there all day. And I don't care who you are or what you think's right and wrong, that's wrong. My wife worked all day and I was at home. I had the dinner made. I'd have it all done for her. So it's not, a, it's not a sexist thing. But there's something about a generation that's going to rise up in these days. That, and the Bible said, listen, we need to train the younger ones the importance of keeping their homes, of loving their husbands. And how do you love your husband? Well, you look after him. He's out working for you and providing for you. And he's bringing money into the home and, he, and he's building the home. You need to look after him. You need to look after your children. And then it says, Teach these young women how to be wise and to live pure lives and act pure and how to keep their homes. That's offensive today for some. And I'm sure you've heard it where women would say on these old reels that are flying about, I'm not going to hoover my home. I'm not going to clean my husband's clothes. Well, why not? Things aren't working and he's providing and he's doing what a man does. But my sort of man anyway, I don't know a lot about other men that don't do anything. But why would they not care for their homes? Is this annoying somebody? Because it needs to, this is what sound doctrine is. It's teaching the opposite of what the world would teach. And then it says, wives, be submissive to their husband. And that's not what you think. It's, it's be respectful. Whether we like it or not, the Bible says that Christ is the head of the church and church is the head of the woman. And we see these things. There's a natural leadership comes from men. Even men that don't lead well in their homes lead their families. Teach these young women how to be wise and pure, how to keep their homes and how to do good and be submissive to their husbands, that they will not bring shame on the word of God, on the word of God. In the same way, encourage young men. Here's a shocker. Just says one thing about young men. Be wise. Be wise. Why? Why? There's one thing I have noticed about men, that they have the ability Whatever a man decides, 
whether his wife agrees or not, she will follow. And I've witnessed this happen in some devastating situations where perhaps a man stuck a head stagger and decided to pull his family out of a church and do all this silly stuff and, and end up walking, going nowhere with God. One instance I actually know that your family has since split. Such is a power of a man. And there's something about this young man. Be wise. Be men. Don't waste your youth. Live for God. That's what I would say to young men who aren't maybe so much tied up in family life, but live for God. Don't waste your life. You know, there's a great verse in, in Ecclesiastes 12 and says this. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach in which you say, I find no pleasure in them. How many a young man knows the Lord but just get caught up in living for himself and living foolishly? How many a young man has neglected his calling because he's wasted on youth and he thinks he's got all his life to live for God? A simple message is to the young man is be wise. Serve the Lord in the days of your youth. Because I want to say this to you. Youth is fleeting and old age is not guaranteed. Old age is not guaranteed. Live wisely. Live for God. I served the Lord from I was 24. God got a hold of me when I was still a young man, and thank God for that. But I remember hearing a testimony of an old man. He was well on and advanced in years, and he was giving his testimony, and the tears were flowing down his face. Why? Because he realized he had wasted his whole life, and he had nothing left to give to God. He had nothing left to give to God. Listen, young men, young women, myself, and all this in between, don't waste your life. Be wise. Live for God and watch what he can do in your life. Amen. You want to just finish, I think, maybe. There is the last one there. It's up anyway, the sound doctrine. doctrine. No, it's the next one. Put up the next one, sorry. The final instruction of doctrine to the people of God is turn from godliness and sinful pleasure. Seek to live in this evil world with wisdom, with righteousness, and devotion with God. And therefore, when we walk into a room, walk into our family's life, invite people to our services, that they, by our living, will be compelled to come, as we've seen in that video. Isn't that right? He was compelled to come. Why? Because a couple of Christians got up. Instead of complaining that they didn't get their dinner in time, they seen that the mom was in trouble. They got up and started serving his table. Do you know, I asked the team to come. Do you know in, in, in 1 Kings 17, there's a wee, wee part about Elijah. Now we're going back to Elijah. And we know the, the bit about the woman who, who, who was making her last meal and going to die. And there's a part of that story where, where this woman looks to Elijah when she encounters Elijah and she says to him, Why, prophet, have you come to me to confront me with my sin? Why have you come to me to confront me with my sin? And here's the thing. When I meet a, a Christian that lives the life of a dog, there's not one bit of their life challenges me. In fact, there's not one bit of them that I want to be like. But a man or woman who lives for God and who, who, who lives according to what that sound doctrine teaches, they challenge people. Isn't that right? A woman who loves her kids and who's a real good mother, make no mistake about it, she will challenge a mother that doesn't care less or doesn't feel that she should do anything. A man that puts and exercises self-control and lives wisely will challenge us, man. It's not the power. Elijah walked into this woman's house and by his lifestyle, this woman was confronted with her own sin. If we want to win people for the Lord, we need to get our lifestyles into the sound doctrine. That we're living according to such a way that our lives will challenge the lives of those who are yet to be saved. 
Would anybody like to be prayed for this morning that the Lord would just fill us with such a presence that all this carnalness within us would just go, that we would find ourselves just walking, and that our lives would reflect what the Scriptures speak about. Amen. Would not be lovely? Would not be lovely that we would read the Scriptures and go, oh, God's done that in my life. Oh, that's happened to me. I went into a room and I met with a person and they says to me, you know, my sins before me, could you help me? Isn't that wonderful? And that can happen, and that has happened for many of us. So I'm just going to encourage you to open your hearts. just want to simply pray and